Hello, I'm Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this is the Re-View Podcast. And this one is totally for us. This movie's not in the canon. It's not even a cult favorite. This but is for the love of the game. This is for the love of the game, baby. And we watched it last weekend, and I think Samuel watched it the weekend before that on his own. I, I could, I, they could really just hook me up to a thing and just have me watch this for the rest of my life, and I'd be okay. I'd be okay. It is 20 years in the future, and the planet has been devastated by vicious, fire-breathing dragons. The last vestiges of humanity now struggle for survival at remote outposts. In a ruined castle in the English countryside, Quinn is desperately trying to hold together a band of frightened, restless survivors. As a boy, Quinn watched his mother die protecting him from one of the beasts, and is still haunted by the memory. One day... A group of American rogues shows up, led by a brash, tough guy named Van Zan. He claims to have discovered a way to kill the dragons once and for all, and enlist Quinn's help. But doing so will force Quinn to confront his own frightening memories. This, and Quinn's responsibilities to those that are under his protection, results in a battle of wills between the two men. In the end, events cause them both to realize that they must work together to defeat the monsters, both without and Within. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Reign of Fire. <laughs> I think this was one of the first movies that I thought I could show you and your brother Truman. You know, that was, you know, kind of big action, but it wasn't something that was going to be too dark. No. Right? And you awful. loved dragons. Yeah. It was going to build on the Godzilla stuff that you watched already. Yeah. But this was definitely like, okay, we're crossing from PG-13 into something a little older now. Well, this is, this is PG-13 still. I know, but, you know. I was like 11 when this movie comes out, yeah. 10 or 11, and you're easing me into PG-13 films. Yeah. You know, I think this and, like, Hellboy were, like, the first things I was allowed to see on the big screen. I had seen PG-13 films before this, but it was always stuff that you had pre-screened and... And we're you know, watching it at home. It's different to see it in the theater. Yeah. More impact in the theater. And I remember we went to go see this and... I mean, I was sold on this film just looking at the poster. The poster actually has nothing to do with the movie. The poster is actually basically a vignette from the setup of the film. When you're seeing... There's this brief segment at the start of the film where they give you all this background that... You know, it's 20 years in the future. Dragons have burned down the earth. And we tried to fight them with our military and our nukes and it didn't work. So the poster is actually a scene from the backstory. It's a bunch of Apache helicopters mm. chasing after a dragon that's burning down Big Ben. Yeah. And that yeah. is such an incredibly potent visual to an 11-year-old, especially <laughs> Samuel as an 11-year-old. Yeah, yeah. That's everything I've ever wanted. It still, narratively, might be everything I've ever wanted. And, of course, we've seen lots of action movies that are pretty forgettable. So why does this one hold on to both of us? I think that's the interesting thing. For anybody who's been uh, listening to the podcasts, uh, thank you very much. This one, it's kind of interesting to dig into. If this movie just dropped off the face of the earth and nobody remembers it, why is it so good to us? I think it's really good to us because, not just in terms of visual storytelling but in terms of thematic storytelling it's really what you and i are always talking about it's intensely focused on the details mm. it's about people it's about at, people yeah. it's about people at, at their most desperate what do you do when everything's gone when you don't necessarily have a reason to fight for what do you still do you choose it's about choosing life it's about being anti-nihilist it's yeah. the world around us has literally been burnt to ash there's literally nothing left 
except for scraps of food, tomatoes that we can eat. <laughs> we are living hand to mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then, most of us are starving. And you know what? Quinn, played by Christian Bale, says, we dig in, we hold on, we tell stories to the children, we yeah. keep hope alive. So and, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so I would like to chime in and say, I think that's why I still like it. Uh, the acting is great. We'll get to the actors here in a minute. Uh, but yes, it, it talks about how does human society go on, right? So I'm a communitarian. I'm always interested in how we work together to form a community that goes on. How do we include the most people? How do we do the best for the most people? Um, and this movie is set actually several years after the dragons burn everything to a crisp. So, you know, they've already survived like four or five or six years. It's supposed to be like 20 years. 20, okay. remember, so, when the first dragon comes up, Quinn's like a small child. That's true, all right. And then so, the, he's in like his early 30s. So you're like 20 years into the post-apocalypse, which is pretty cool because most apocalyptic movies show you the apocalypse, right? Uh, or it's just a few years after. So I'm thinking about, uh, well, things like The Road. Right? Yeah, yeah. You see the apocalypse at the beginning, and it's really pretty just shortly after that you're watching most of it. Yeah. I think Book of Eli is set pretty far forward. Yeah, after that's the definitely because they're like society starting to come back there. But things like um, I think your your reference point should actually be The Walking Dead. And that's what I wanted to get to is going back and watching this movie with you last weekend. Probably the first time I've seen it straight through in a good six or seven years. And in that time, I've watched a lot of Walking Dead. I've watched all of Fear the Walking Dead, and I really only got off uh, The Walking Dead uh, after the first Negan season. So I've seen a whole bunch of this same kind of, okay, we're in a small band, how do we work together? Who makes the decisions? What happens when there's an imminent threat? When you meet a stranger, how do you know whether you can trust them? And that's all in this movie! Yeah, this movie is like two hours long, and it does all of the hard work. You know, you see a lot of articles now about world building and how do you set up your fictional setting and you know Game of Thrones has all these throwaway details that are supposed to establish the world. Reign of Fire does that in like two hours. There's not there's like one scene at the beginning where it's like okay this is how the apocalypse happened. It's maybe three minutes. And then it's, you're off to the races. And then you're yeah. off. And there's so much backstory that they just dribble in in dialogue. Now you and I had a really great chance to talk with one of our favorite authors two years ago, Michael Stackpole. Mm -hmm. We actually had to talk with him, like one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. And he was telling us that the way you deliver exposition and backstory is in conversation. Yeah. You don't have somebody stand there and say, here's my whole backstory, because that's not how people function. Right. People reveal themselves when they speak in conversation with other people. There is only one scene, again, that three-minute scene right at the beginning where Christian Bale's like writing to a supposed future generation trying to set up what's yeah. happened in the past. And even then, that's narratively contextualized. He's mm -hmm. trying to be the record keeper. He's trying yeah. to preserve what has happened. Yeah. And that's important to the story. But the rest of the backstory, like they throw out references to fighting other bands of survivors or helping mm -hmm. other bands of survivors. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we haven't heard from Nottingham in two years. Like, right. So there were other bands, yep. but we haven't heard from them. Yep. And then at one point, one of the other characters, when they first encounter Van Zant, this rogue American, he's like, you remember the rogue Marines? Oh, they were fun. Like, you know, like yeah. Yeah. they've had conflicts yeah. and alliances. Yeah. And now we're at the very end of our rope. They think they might be the only humans left alive in the world. And Christian Bale, as Quinn, is just trying to keep this group of survivors together. And it gets into the politics of, okay, who gets a voice in the community? Mm -hmm. 
how strong is that voice? Do you need a central authority figure when the chips are, you know, this far down? When things are when this the tomatoes far, are down. When the tomatoes are down, you know, Quinn is the one who is saying no. We some of us might starve, but we're not harvesting the tomatoes until they can germinate, so that we'll have crops for next year. Right. The he long makes term that hard decision. Right. Right. So this is a question of survival in the short term and the long term. Yep. Right. How do you balance those? So for any fans of The Walking Dead, I highly recommend Reign of Fire because it's like dropping into Walking Dead season five yep. or six is what this it is. is so, this is all of that in like two hours. Yeah. And, and so you've heard us uh, mention this is. You know, it stars Christian Bale, who's so a really good actor. Yeah, Christian Bale. It's it's just a bizarre main trio of of <laughs> actors who will go on to continue to do awesome things. You've got Christian Bale as Quinn, the leader of this big sur- group of survivors in the castle. And he turns into Batman later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like three years later, he gets to be Batman. But this is like 2002. And then after that, he's in the Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Well, he does the same thing in the Terminator, except worse. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But he does get to do that. And then you've got Mr. 300. And you've got Mr. 300, but he's using his native accent, and he's maybe 160 pounds at the most. <laughs> you got Gerard Butler in there, and he's just using his native accent. And he's, he's quite funny. He's so much fun. Yeah. He's like the Pippin in this film. Mm. He's just like... Good reference. He's, he's got... You know, like. There's a great exchange. I'm not going to spoil this whole movie, but I could. <laughs> Quinn is talking with him at one point. His name is McCready. Of course his name is McCready. <laughs> and Quinn's like, if anything happens to me, you know what to do. And it's like this badass moment. And McCready but- goes... Uh, no, actually, I've got no idea. <laughs> and, and he's not like he's not busting his chops. He's like, uh, no, we have no contingency plan if you die, dude. There's no fallback. Like, and it's just so much fun. And the third of the trio, looking like a WWE maniac, which is, I think, one reason why you like this oh, movie. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey comes riding in like he's just off the set of Apocalypse Now, except he looks like a pro wrestler. He's straddling a tank turret. There is oh a tank God. turret between his two legs. When he's he got tattoos. He's uh, bald. He's got this big he's beard. He's screaming and growling. That's what we need. He's, he's got a cigar. I mean, he's like wrapped six different macho movie characters, including Patton. He and... uses the word soiree in his native <laughs> accent. <laughs> it is unbelievable. He's unstoppable. For a fun double feature, watch Magic Mike and then this. Like, <laughs> he is as dangerous as the dragons to these people in the castle. And as well he should be. He is yeah. an absolute monster. He has taken it so far. His obsession has consumed him. Yeah. There's another character uh, who says, basically, he doesn't feel anything. That's how he can do what he does. She's yeah. saying he is a sociopath, but here's the thing. He's able to lead us. It's the cost. What does leadership cost you? Right. How far can you take it? Quinn and Van Zant, Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale are supposed to be two sides of the same coin. Van Zant is willing to toss all of these people away, at least on the surface you think he is. He's he's willing to do this thing. He's willing to cross the sea to exterminate these dragons. For him, this is a binary. We have to kill them. Mm-hmm. because then we will survive. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale thinks we can just outlast them. They're yeah. starving. We don't have to do a fight. Right, right. It's a question of do you take direct action or indirect action, yeah, it's offense which is versus very defense. relevant. Mm-hmm. In American terms, football, offense or defense. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 
you know, Matthew does a great job. I love him just chewing up all this scenery. And here's the difference between those two characters, right? So Matthew comes in and he is giving orders. He's a military figure. He's on offense. He's like, we're doing this, this, this. We got to stay for the night because I need this. And we're going to take down the dragon this way. I and mean, he's he, very clearly not a democracy. No. And he's got, you know, he's got an action plan. What is Christian Bale? He's a storyteller. There's a scene about 12, 15 minutes into the movie that wedded me to this movie the first time I saw it. And the scene holds up. I love it dearly. Yeah. So if you're going to play defense, if you're holed up in this old English castle out in the middle of the countryside where you can see the dragons coming, they literally do have a guy up in the watchtower with hawks. Yeah. Because yeah. this is falconry. all falconry. This is all about going back to medieval social structure. They have illuminated manuscripts on the walls. It's so cool. So what do you do in medieval times when you're, you know, basically living by candlelight and you got to keep the kids from losing their minds? You tell stories about the white knight and the dark knight. And so you see them in front on a little stage of the kids before bedtime, and they're reenacting the ending of Empire Strikes Back. Christian Bale and Gerard Butler as Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, respectively. You don't get any better than that. <laughs> it's hilarious, because then, you know, the kids are all terrified when he goes, I am your father. <gasps> That moment still has power 20 it years into the apocalypse. has power. And then, so they tell him it's bedtime, the kids all complain, and then the, one of them goes, did you just make that up? Yeah, and, and of course, you know, Christian Bale just goes, of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Everyone gets to use their native accent. Everyone is clearly having fun. And storytelling is what keeps humanity going. It keeps us from going insane. It's, mm -hmm. it's just an incredible film. It's filled with really good script writing and brilliant little details that make this more than direct-to-DVD fair. This is something that was worth releasing in the theaters. It did not turn a profit. It lost like $40 million. But Well, tell, uh, you have some good thoughts on the mechanics of this, because it comes out, gosh, almost 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah. 2002. 2002. And, uh, you know, now we live in this era where we do have... You know, things that are being created basically for Netflix, they hardly hit the theaters at all. You know, they're much lower budget, uh, dramatic, uh, fair, you know, based on books. You know, there's real intelligent movie making still being done, but it's not hitting the suburban movie yeah. plexes, the, right? What you get in the movie plex now is some monstrosity that's either, you know, Disney or Marvel, and it, it costs $200 million to make. Yeah. And this movie is not either one of those. No, this is part of a... a it might already be dead. It might not be dying, but a, a dead breed of film. I, I think it is. Do uh, you think it's dead? I don't think you get movies like this anymore no. on this budget, but go ahead. So this is a budget of like $60 million. It's not based on an existing property. Yeah, it's, it's not, not based on a comic. on a comic book or a novel or, or a, a video TV game. show or a video game. <laughs> This is a script that someone handed to an executive and the executive said, this is strong enough that I'm going to put a middle-of-the-road budget into it. Mm -hmm. We will promote it. We will release it in the summertime. Yep. And we'll see how it does. And that doesn't exist anymore. And it really didn't exist then. <laughs> I mean, it still existed, but it did not help Reign of Fire. It, it tanked at the box office because it didn't have anything behind it. 
Yeah, no. Right? It's... It didn't have that existing fan base that so many of these other properties do. I mean, and... imagine somebody trying to make the Harry Potter movies without the books. No, you right? can't do it. You, you can't, can't do it. it. No one would have taken that bet. No one would have taken that bet. Right. And that's, you... that's essentially what they're trying to do here. They're making this English setting, you know, medieval throwback story, but they don't have that juggernaut of the popular novel. No, they are taking a chance. They're doing a pure gamble. I love that. It's beautiful. My dream as a writer is to be able to do something on that level where right. the strength of the idea and the script can carry forward and get them to call Matthew McConaughey yeah. and call Christian Bale and say, we got this weird little throwaway thing. You'll get to film in the English countryside for three months mm -hmm. and then you'll do some work on a soundstage. And that'll be it. You'll make yeah. a nice little chunk of change, and yeah. we'll all have fun. It's about dragons, not too much stunt work. Like, it's yeah. just cool. It's just fun to watch. Everyone on every level of production clearly cared. I'm still seeing new things in this film, little details that I have missed, and I love it every time I see it. Like, what did you see last time? I just really loved... Uh, I have never seen the uh, fact that... Or never really settled in on the fact that, like... Christian Bale's sweater that he wears has this big like patch of leather that's been sewn onto it. Mm -hmm. So they're repairing the clothes. Yeah, a lot of post-apocalyptic films will make clothes either look totally worn out and destroyed and like no one's ever repaired them. They're just right. destroyed. Yeah. And or the other thing where it's like Dude, you just dirtied up something you could buy at Sears today. You threw a, a round and, of mud on Actually, that's exactly the point at which I jumped off the original Walking Dead TV show. Because <laughs> like around season six, their clothes were just way too nice. Yeah, if, no. if we're this many years into the apocalypse, your clothes are not going to look that nice. Thread doesn't hold up, folks. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, But I like that they can't make... Like, new clothes, you've got to repair what you have. Yeah. But they've someone in the production and the costuming department clearly thought, okay, he's been wearing this sweater for a while. He's not just... You can't just throw stuff away. Nothing can be wasted. Right. You have to try and repair what you have. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. I just... I love those little details, and every time I watch it, it rewards me with more new details, and... They kill a dragon, and they play Jimi Hendrix's Stand Next to Your Fire. So what more do you want? What more do you want? We should, because we've talked in other podcasts, uh, talk about the CGI. Since this movie is almost 20 years old, Holds up. you would think that the CGI would, would look silly. But you know what? When we watched it last week, uh, especially since a lot of the dragon stuff... The dragons are in motion, they're in the sky, you see them at a distance. Yep, or they're going through the clouds. They know that their CGI yeah. budget is not massive. Right. They're going to have to disguise... Yeah where there are flaws. and But you know what? That's what makes the movie so human, right? We love this movie because it's very much from the human's perspective looking up in the sky, so you don't need to see the dragons up close. Yeah, all it's more effective if they're just silhouettes against this gray northern England sky. They're just these <laughs> yeah. horrible misshapen bat-like things that are yeah. breathing fire and you're screaming and running away. Which was, of course, our reoccurring joke. I think we made it seven times while we watched it last week. Was, wow, look how gray it is. No, it's just Scotland. It's just Scotland. Like, it, they just filmed this in Northern England. Oh, my God. I love it. I absolutely love it. So have you gotten any of your friends to watch this? Any of your millennials? Yeah, no, no. I, I, I have made it, like, a cause. I showed this to my group of college buddies. And what was their reaction? 
they're like Samuel, you're insane, but this was fun. <laughs> like you're too you're too far gone about this. It was it's just fun. Do they really watch it all the way to the end though? Yeah, no, you? we watched it all okay. the way to the end. Right. They didn't like slowly back towards the door. No, 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 they watched it all with me. You didn't notice? No, no, no. But on, I got them to watch this because I got them to trust me by showing them Aliens. Like, Aliens oh. is a slam dunk. Yeah, yeah, Can't go wrong with Aliens. No, no. And then I'm like, well, if you liked that, there's a cool movie about... You have to sell people on the absurdity of it. You have to sell them on Christian Bale, Academy Award winner Christian Bale. Yeah. Gerard Butler, Academy Award winner Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. In a post-apocalyptic England, killing dragons. Yeah. You have to say that sentence, and people go... What? What? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I have to see this. Because they don't care at that point if it's good or not. You yeah. surprise them with the fact that it's good. Yeah, yeah. But at that point, they're just like, that sounds like the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. And it's real. And you show them, I usually show them the, the Black Knight and White Knight scene. Or I show them the first scene where Matthew McConaughey is in, where he's just letting his accent just bleed all over his mouth. Just like, <laughs> they have great vision in the day. Even better. Like, it's just unbelievable. And you show people that, and they're like, he was in Dallas Buyers Club. Like, they're, they're looking at that, and they're like, what is this? What is yeah, happening? Yeah, well, he's pretty crazy. I hope when you post this podcast that you have some picture of him with his tattoos. I mean, he's ripped. He looks really like a Viking. Yeah, no, he, he, looks, like really... a, he looks like a human gun. Yeah. Just, like, at one point, there's this shot where it's almost like a, it's like an accidental... He carries a battle axe! He carries a battle axe! It's almost like an accidental renaissance painting, because uh. he and Quinn get in a fist fight at one yeah. point, in the ash. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so they're pulling them off of each other. Each side is pulling their guys yeah, yeah, off yeah. each other. And they pull Matthew McConaughey back, and his back is so arched at one point that he's, like, twisted into this weird shape. Yeah. You can see all of his abs and this dragon that he's got <laughs> tattooed I'm sure that nipples. was McConaughey's idea. And he's just, like, <laughs> screaming. He's like, that's what we need. And he's like, what is this? What is happening? Is, is this why you like WWE? This Dude, might be the origin of it. The only thing that would be better if, like, The Rock came out and gave a rock bottom to one of these dragons. Just be like, <laughs> if you smell what The Rock is cooking, and no. he just like locks eyes with a dragon and just like a damn. I, I wouldn't put it past The Rock to remake this movie. Oh, he will point. at this point. Oh my god. <laughs> if he doesn't run for president. The thing is, once Warner Brothers lets these rights lapse in like <laughs> another five years, I'm gonna buy them for like six bucks. I'm you, gonna buy. Do you have a sequel in mind? No, I don't care about a sequel. I just wanna buy this so that if I want to. Write a post-apocalyptic yeah. thing with dragons. I can set it in the same universe. The you, problem yeah, you just is, put it in Paris. Or the problem New York is, or in my mind, I am not joking when I tell you, folks, this is my favorite setup for the post-apocalypse. I understand. This is literally, we... my favorite explanation for why is human society gone? Well, dragons. dragons burned it away, and they're like, oh, by the way, the Ice Age. That was the dragons. Yo, remember those dinosaurs? Wasn't a meteor. Dragons killed them. That's. Awesome. Yeah, they have that in this movie. Like, it it's is not really... as cool with zombies. It's like, oh, the zombies ate everyone. That sucks. That's <laughs> terrible. I don't care. Dragons burned everything yeah. to the ground. That's yeah, awesome. It is pretty cool. It, it's, the whole aesthetics of it remind me of stuff that I grew up on even before this. It reminds me of, like, Command and Conquer and stuff. Like, oh, I look at this, and yeah. I see that, and I... And instead, they're going to come to you in another couple of years and make you write, you know, a Lego movie. So I don't want to. <laughs> I want to write a Lego movie. I want to write Reign of Fire 2 and get Academy Award winner Christian Bale 
to star. Like, I want to sit there at his weird, you know, place in, in I think he's got a place in Japan or something, oh. and, and in California. He's got places all over the place. And just, like, sit there, like, cross-legged and be like, I've come to talk with you today about Reign of Fire. And I just want him to look in my eyes and go, get out. <laughs> like, that's enough for me. I'd be very happy if I, you know, like... I, I think I, Tom Cruise would do it. I have a... I have a get the cruiser to do it. I have a history of... Uh, when I meet celebrities, I name the weird thing, and they're like, "You like that?" <laughs> you know, when when I got uh, when my, I was like eight or nine, and my babysitter was working at like a local bar that Colin Farrell liked to go to after he was filming The New World. Yeah, and she mentioned to him that I loved, unironically, him and Daredevil. Yeah, that I consider that one of his finest performances, <laughs> and his reaction to that was just like so novel, like. Oh, you actually really like that? <laughs> that he signed like a bar napkin for yeah. me and he just said, To Samuel, peace, signed his name and drew the little bullseye symbol. Drew the bullseye. That is incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's the greatest stuff. thing. And I will continue to do that for every famous person that I meet. <laughs> Here's this they can't ever let me have a late night talk show. Because Christian Bale will come on and be like, Yeah, so I'm promoting this new movie I made with Martin Scorsese. I'd be like, I don't care about that. We're gonna talk about Rain of Fire. Like, <laughs> and just be like, please, I have to promote this movie. I don't care. So remember that scene where you're riding the horse? Like, <laughs> I just love this movie so much. It is good. I hope that somebody watches it based off of uh, our recommendation. So good. Um, the color palette is like so oppressive. It's variations on gray and, and orange. But, but you know what? That, again... It's easy to just say, oh, it's just another post-apocalyptic movie. But you know what? The fact that you've got Christian Bale trying to grow things, right? I mean, that's the other thing I really hate about The Walking Dead at this point. The food is way too easy to come by. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, they'll do a little nod to, okay, we've got to go out and look for supplies. Or they find people who are already growing things. Well, they're going got to garden. look for supplies because they need drama. <laughs> I know. They need drama. So there's no sense of they really have to figure out how to live and how to eat. But that's in this movie. So that gray palette... You know, that is the enemy of humankind, right? The gray is from the ash of the dragons. The dragons are dark and gray. Humans need green to live, mm -hmm. right? So the times that you actually see that they've grown the little tomato plants, it really stands out. Yeah. It's almost shocking. Yeah. Yeah, it's just awesome. All the little details, all the little color palette things. The, the arc of each character is very natural and very human and... Just the little details. I can't spoil some of my favorites because they come. Haven't we talked about the whole movie? No, no. <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil. spoil I don't want to no? spoil uh, my favorite Van Zant moment where they reveal oh. what's been in his flask the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He keeps drinking from this flask, and you're like, like oh, he he, must yeah, have he's some. this badass he's whiskey from guy. Tennessee. I'm uh, sorry, no, Kentucky. So, you know, we're the Kentucky regulars. You yeah, know, yeah, you're yeah. like he's got some Kentucky bourbon or yeah, something yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. And then when they reveal what's actually in there, it's. Awesome. Come on, tell them what's okay. in there. Okay, so at one point, they're passing around this little flask as they're going up against, you know, the big final boss dragon, and he passes it to... So this is like your last drink. You might die. You might drive. Here's your last shot of and whiskey. He passes it to Christian Bale, and he takes a big swig, and he spits it out. He goes, it's water! <laughs> and without missing a beat, without a pause, Matthew McConaughey goes, keep it. <laughs> it's been water the whole time. Because that's what humans really need to survive. Water, buddy. Awesome. All right. So awesome. Go out and watch Reign of Fire. And then listen to the weird alt-rock soundtrack over the credits because they just had some Warner Brothers band that they needed to promote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The alt-rock band over the closing credits. Ah! <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, but by then you're going to be in love with this movie and it won't matter. Oh so. my god, it's so good. And they do have Jimmy in the movie itself. You know, Jimmy Hendrix himself. You know, I mean, not the, the music. The music. They have the music, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. no. Jimmy uh, Hendrix comes and fights a dragon himself. <laughs> That's the next movie. That's the next one. <laughs> Let me stand next to your fire! And he takes his axe yeah! and hits a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. It's not going to get any better than that, folks. I'm Bentley. And, uh, and I'm Samuel. And that's the Review Podcast. Yes, that's what we need. <laughs>